we talked to community leaders about the COVID-19 vaccine. There is no invincibility to COVID-19. I mean, I've had people in my church die in the hospital without their loved ones. They're at the funeral home, and we have to limit it to five to 10 people in the beginning. No reflection, no community gatherings. The power to change this narrative is your choice. My hope is that people will get vaccinated. Find your vaccine at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm your other co-host, Brent J. Cohen. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Um, I know it has been um, last week, uh, it was a tough week um, for the country, a tough week for lots of folks. Um, last week, the Supreme Court allowed a Texas law to take effect that bans abortion after around the sixth week of pregnancy, um, at which point many people do not even know they're pregnant. So this law is devastating for many Texans, particularly particularly for those who can't afford to travel out of state to access abortion care. Uh, it also goes against the established precedent set by Roe v. Wade uh, and also by Planned Parenthood v. Casey, leading many to be concerned about the implications of this law for other states around the country um, and what, what might happen next. So to talk with us about this law and what can be done uh, to protect abortion rights in Texas um, and beyond, we are joined by two expert guests. And I want to go ahead and give a welcome to Jackie Blank. Uh, Jackie is a federal legislative strategist um, and the Act for Women campaign manager at the Center for Reproductive Rights. Uh, hi, Jackie. Thanks so much for being back on the show with us. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Appreciate you taking the time. I know it is a very busy time for you all. <laughs> Um, and then also I want to give a, a special welcome to um, Nancy Cardenas-Pena, the Texas State Director for Policy and Advocacy at the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. Hi, Nancy. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thank you. So great to be here. Yeah. And, you know, thanks, thanks again to you as well. Like I said, I know this is a super busy time um, and it's really important, um, I think, to have uh, the work that you guys are doing, but uh, also just so grateful for taking the time to to talk with us and to get the word out to all of our listeners um, about what you all are working on. So, um, Jackie, I want to go ahead and kick it over to you to begin with. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the mission of the Center for Reproductive Rights um, and how you came um, to the work that you're doing? Sure. So the Center for Reproductive Rights uses 
the law to establish, defend, and create additional um, reproductive rights across the country. So we do that work in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, in Latin America, in the Caribbean, and also in the United States, which is the work that I do. And I, I come to this work with a very personal, deep-seated feeling about the need to have bodily autonomy independent of, you know, state restrictions or really input on what I or anyone should be doing with their bodies. And so reproductive rights, health and justice movement seems like a, a natural fit. And I'm so grateful to be at an organization that is really leading the charge, especially on the litigation front. And right now we are leading counsel on the challenge to SB8 in Texas and also on Jackson Women's Health Organization v. Dobbs, which is a case about a 15-week ban in Mississippi that the Supreme Court is going to be taking up this term. Thanks so much, Jackie. And we are very grateful to the work that um, the Center for Reproductive Rights does around the world um, and that you're doing uh, here in the United States. Really appreciate it. Um, Nancy, uh, I want to pivot over to you for a second. Um, and same question. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work with the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice um, and what your role as Texas State Director entails? Yeah, so um, our work is a lot of advocacy work at the intersection of immigration and reproductive health care. We realize that in order to truly advocate for reproductive justice, we can't only talk about abortion in the silo, but we have to recognize that there are a lot of issues that affect someone's access to abortion. So, for example, one of the biggest issues that we have is immigration status. And when we're talking about a state as complex as Texas, sometimes we have to get a little creative with our solutions. So sometimes my work looks like advocating at the Texas Capitol and at D.C. for anything abortion related coming from Texas. And, you know, sometimes it looks like trying to plan campaigns as appropriate responses to things that are happening here on the ground. So it's definitely a mix of a lot of things. Um, all of our members are in Texas. We do have branches, you know, in other parts of the country, but my work is based in Texas um, along the border in an area called the Rio Grande Valley. Great, thank you so much, Nancy, and thanks uh, for the work that y'all are doing. Um, Nancy, uh, at a high level, um, can you explain to folks um, what the Texas law, SB8, the law that we've been talking about, the law we mentioned in the introduction, the law that folks have been seeing um, in the headlines, um, explain what is the law um, and why the last and why last week's Supreme Court decision uh, was significant? Sure. So um, I'll talk a bit about the law that we're seeing getting buzz everywhere. And, you know, basically SB 8, um, also known as Senate Bill 8, was passed out of the legislature in May. And basically what SB 8 entails is that it's a six week abortion uh, prohibition. And so a lot of folks um, have rightfully said that people don't really know that they're pregnant. Abortion really isn't accessible at this point. But what makes this law so different from other uh, abortion bans that we've seen across the country is that it includes a sort of a civil liability enforcement clause into it. And I'll talk a little bit more about what exactly that means. Basically, the legislature wanted to find a way in order to avoid any sort of responsibility 
for this law going into effect. And so they decided to make people the enforcers of this bill. And so basically, if you are aiding and abetting an abortion, which is, you know, access towards abortion, maybe driving someone to a clinic, maybe funding an abortion, maybe giving to an abortion fund, you know, the law is kind of vague on purpose in that capacity. You can definitely be sued based on SB 8 and its implementation here in Texas. And so when the Supreme Court ruled um, in the way that they did, they did not stop this law from going into effect. We still have a lot more court decisions to come, but it was definitely, you know, damning in a way towards the implementation of this law here in Texas. Wow. Thanks, Nancy, for that breakdown. I think a lot of folks have heard, me included, have heard how how damaging and, and devastating this um, bill is, but that component that you just highlighted around almost this vigilante enforcement of empowering people to sue their neighbors, friends, community members, whomever, um, for uh, helping someone get health care, in this case, abortion, is just is stunning. And to hear that is, in fact, not sort of on the periphery, but a, a cornerstone of this approach, I think is really concerning. And just, you know, as I as I heard you talking about it, immediately made a connection to something we saw happen in Florida, although not around abortion, it was around uh, empowering people to um, essentially hurt people who were protesting and it came on the heels of the racial justice protests over the summer, uh, but essentially to, to run over people uh, in their cars if they felt threatened by protests that were shuttering a road. And so this idea of empowering um, extremists to take action through vigilante justice is, is just, you know, extremely disturbing. And to hear it now being used in this context is a cornerstone of this um, approach here in Texas to, you know, put a prohibition on abortion is just uh, really staggering. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we have just a, about a, a minute and a half here. Jackie, if you could very briefly um, share, and we're happy to come back to it afterwards, how this fits into the broader pattern that you're seeing across the country in terms of anti-choice, or not even anti-choice, anti-healthcare, anti anti-abortion legislation. Yeah, I'd be happy to. But, but before I do that, I actually want to read a quote from Justice Sotomayor's dissent that really, I think, grounds what Nancy was saying and how troubling this new mechanism for enforcement is. And this quote from her dissent says, the court's order is stunning. Presented with an application to enjoin a fragrantly unconstitutional law engineered to prohibit women from exercising their constitutional rights and evade judicial scrutiny, a majority of justices have opted to bury their heads in the sand. So that is straight from Justice Sotomayor's dissent and I think really encapsulates this you know, outrage at the idea that Texas could deputize enforcement of this restriction to its citizens. You know, Jackie, that is actually, let's let's end this segment on that incredibly powerful quote from Justice Sotomayor. And when we come back, I'll ask you that follow-up question about how this fits into that broader pattern that we're seeing across the country. We'll Sounds be right good. back on the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Morton Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com.
Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we are joined today by two experts, uh, Jackie Blank, federal legislative strategist and the Act for Women campaign manager at the Center for Reproductive Rights, and Nancy Cardenas-Pena, the Texas State Director for Policy and Advocacy at the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. And Jackie and Nancy are talking with us about the recent law that was passed in Texas, uh, the anti-abortion law. Uh, that was passed there just last week. Excuse me, not passed there last week, but that the Supreme Court weighed in on just last week. Excuse me. Um, and we're talking a bit about the impacts that that could have in Texas um, and how this fits into the broader pattern across the country. And so, uh, Jackie, we were chatting just before the last break, and and I started to ask you a question. I'm going to come right back to it. How does has this law that we saw? Um, that we saw in Texas and that Justice Sotomayor condemned the Supreme Court's actions or inactions on last week. Um, how does this fit within a broader pattern of anti-abortion legislation that you're seeing across the country? It is definitely part of a concentrated and concerted effort to put abortion care out of reach basically for everyone, but we know that when these laws are in effect, they have a disproportionate impact on communities that already face barriers to healthcare. And that is particularly true for black women and other women of color across the South and in the Midwest. Even just in this legislative session this year in the states starting in January, over 500 restrictions were passed in state legislature, were you know considered introduced in state legislatures. I think over 90 of them were passed, and that's just this year. Over the last couple of decades, anti-abortion advocates and state lawmakers have been trying to ban abortion outright, and this is really the not even the culmination. I think that we are at maybe a tipping point where they are able to use or are trying to exploit the courts to their advantage. And none of these laws exist in a vacuum. You know, Nancy can speak to this better than I can, but this new restriction or ban is not the only thing facing the people who are trying to access care in Texas. And now if they are trying to access care outside of Texas, they're faced with even more barriers. They have to leave the state of Texas, including transportation costs and childcare and, you know, taking time off of work. And so none of these restrictions live in a vacuum. And also this is not the year, not all of a sudden anti-abortion lawmakers woke up and decided to start passing these laws. This is part of a decades long effort to make abortion completely out of reach for, for everyone. Nancy, you you mentioned, uh, or I'm sorry, Jackie, you mentioned that Nancy could speak to um, the broader pa um, pattern of this uh, additionally and the sort of repercussions. Um, Nancy, is there anything you want to jump in on there? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's what Jackie was saying, that this wasn't just, you know, one isolated attack against abortion access. We've seen this time and time and time again. And, you know, if we're going to talk about this particular legislative session, <clears throat> Excuse me. The governor decided to add a special session. So another opportunity to pass more anti-abortion bills. Unbelievable. I and I and the point that both of you have highlighted in, in reiterating this is a decades-long sort of effort that we're seeing now um come to pass. Uh 
raises all sorts of questions, frankly, about the the Supreme Court uh, and the role that it plays here in its um, um, ongoing legitimacy as an institution. Um, but you know, pausing that that part of the conversation for a second, um, you know, Jackie, I do want to ask you what this means for the future of the precedent established by Roe v. Wade or or Planned Parenthood v. Casey, and um, you know, just the implications that it could have for, for that precedent uh, and how that can uh, have impacts, uh, you know, in other states. Sure. So I want to be clear that in the Supreme Court's decision to allow the Texas law to go into effect, it was not deciding on the constitutionality of the law itself. So as of right now, Roe v. Wade is still in effect. I want to be clear that the experience on the ground in Texas does not reflect that legal reality, but Roe v. Wade is still in effect. And we are at the court right now, like I mentioned earlier, um, pushing back and fighting against a ban on abortion in, in Mississippi that would ban abortion at 15 weeks. And the state of Mississippi has actually expressly asked in its opening brief that the Supreme Court overturn Roe and Casey. And so it is not just these sort of chipping away at Roe arguments that have been made in the past. There is an explicit attempt to overturn Roe outright. And we've already seen that other state legislatures have said that they would like to introduce copycat bills. None of them have, um, but certainly this has a chilling effect on access to abortion beyond Texas. Hi, and I just wanted to add really quickly to Jackie's point and talking about the, you know, all of the different types of legislation we're seeing against abortion, you know, uh, she's absolutely right. This wasn't, uh, you know, a decision that was made based on constitutionality of Roe v. Wade, because adding to the conversation about other anti-abortion measures we're seeing across the country, we do have something called abortion trigger laws. And so basically, if this would have been another decision, states um, have these trigger laws in place to basically ban abortion outright based on that Supreme Court decision. And that's not something that we're seeing because of this particular decision. I've often said when we're talking about this type of legislation, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen to other states. It's a matter of when. I understand that Florida is seeing a copycat bill of SB8. And, you know, here in Texas, we've been seeing bills circulating at the local level that have copycat language of SB8. Got I so I want to I want to clarify that last point or or ask for clarification I should say of that last point there Nancy so what you're saying is because it did not because it doesn't overturn Roe v Wade it does not dispute constitutionality of abortion we're not seeing the the trigger laws I think is what you called it go into effect in other states and those are laws that would otherwise go into effect if Roe v Wade were returned however what we are seeing is states potentially um, looking to do copycat legislation to mimic the Texas law. Is that, did I re repeat that accurately? Absolutely. And I think it's super important to realize that these efforts are not only happening at a state level with their state legislatures passing anti-abortion measures, but we have local municipalities that are also engaged in those campaigns and adopting SBA type language. We just saw this, uh, you know, I think it was a month ago here in the Rio Grande Valley, and, and we fought back against this and we managed to defeat it. But we can only imagine how this will spread to other municipalities that are trying to incorporate SB8 language as well. 
Thanks, Nancy. That's that's really helpful, and I think help certainly helps clarify for me, and I imagine helps clarify for a lot of folks who might be out there and know that what happened in Texas is really bad. What happened with the Supreme Court uh, vis-a-vis this this law is really bad, but not really understanding the fine details of the implications. And so you breaking it down that way certainly helps clarify. Um, and I think the point that you just raised there in terms of local municipalities also looking to engage negatively around abortion is, is, is really important. So when we, we're going we're gonna to jump to another break here. When we come back, we're going to talk more um, about what's happening and, and what we can be doing about it on the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm your other co-host, Brent J. Cohen. Uh, and right now we are talking about uh, what happened um, by way of the Supreme Court last week um, that allowed a Texas law to take effect that bans abortion after around the sixth week of pregnancy. So I want to welcome back our our special guest. We've got Jackie Blank um, from Act for Women um, and the Center for Reproductive Rights. And we've also got uh, Nancy Cardenas-Pena um, from the National Latina Institute for Re- for reproductive justice. Um, so thank you both so much for joining us again. Um, and right before this, we were talking about um, trigger laws. Um, and uh, Jackie, I'm gonna uh, punt this question over to you. Um, first, a quick uh, a quick reminder to our listeners about what a trigger law is when we're talking um, about abortion here um, and what other things um, we should be concerned about um, thinking about the potential outcome of, uh, for example, a, a Mississippi case and 24 other states um, that we should have on our radar when it comes to uh, banning abortion access. Thank you. So um, what Nancy was saying earlier about the types of trigger laws that are on the books in a number of states and how this decision in SB8 would not trigger those bans, what she was talking about are state laws that have been on the books for decades and that state anti-abortion activists and lawmakers have been trying to get on the books for decades that if Roe is overturned would immediately trigger a state ban on abortion. So what I was saying earlier about how states have been trying to overturn Roe for decades, this is a core piece of that strategy. If they were able to get a case to the court that would have Roe overturned, in their back pockets, they would have a mechanism to ban abortion outright. And between these trigger bans and um, anti-abortion state legislatures with anti-abortion governors, it is possible that almost immediately 24 states could act to ban abortion very soon after a decision in the Jackson Women's Health Organization case, which is that case I mentioned that is going to be at the Supreme Court this session, which is about a 15-week ban in Mississippi. And the reason that this ban presents such a big question about Roe itself is because There is no world in which a ban on abortion at 15 weeks 
is compliant with the precedent set by Roe. And the state of Mississippi has explicitly asked the court to overturn Roe. So there is there is no way for this 15 week ban to be upheld and for Roe to still stand. And this is, I say this not to fear monger, but to really explain the stakes right now about what we could be seeing in as few as you know 11 or so months because the court will be hearing this the arguments in this case this fall or early winter, and then we'll get a decision towards the end of this uh, Supreme Court session. And we, you know, we feel very strongly that the Supreme Court should listen to precedent, which is very clear about this ban. But we we need to be serious about the stakes at play here. I I think I just sort of uh, <laughs> not really sure what question to ask next after that. Not really sure what to follow up on after that. Um, I know that uh, this is something um, that you all uh, provide lots of um, advocacy venues and resources to folks on um, on a regular basis. But hearing sort of um, the domino effect of uh, what could take place um, in eleven months. Um, uh, is, uh, I would say, concerning, alarming, terrifying, um, and as you said, not to fear monger, but to galvanize people into action here. Um, so what is it that uh, we should be doing? Um, Jackie, I'll, I'll ask you, um, and then Nancy, if you have anything you'd like to follow up on, what should people be um, doing concretely, specifically asking their legislators for, advocating for, um, in order to um, take uh, proactive measures against this sort of thing. I'm going to talk about my area of expertise here, which is federal legislation to protect access to abortion. And I'm sure Nancy is also going to pitch in about things people can do to support access on the ground in Texas and also some additional um, things people can do at the state level. But I'm, I'm going to stick to my lane here, which is to talk about things Congress can do to protect access to abortion. Go so let's do that. Yeah, so you may have seen the very exciting announcement by Speaker Pelosi last week that she is going to be holding a vote on the Women's Health Protection Act once Congress returns from recess. So the Women's Health Protection Act is a bill that has been Congress has been considering every session since 2013. And this is a bill that creates a federal statutory right to access abortion care free from these types of restrictions that we're seeing across the country. A six week ban, a requirement that people have medically unnecessary testing before their abortion care, a waiting period, which you know, in Oklahoma means that people have to wait 72 hours to think about the decision that they want to make after their first consultation with their provider. It would deal with bias counseling laws, which in certain states requires providers to tell outright lies to their patients, including these false claims about ties to breast cancer and infertility, which have absolutely no basis in medicine. And so what this bill does is it creates this federal right that states can't violate. So this is something we have known that we needed long before the Supreme Court took up the Mississippi case and even well before the Texas law SB8 was even introduced. Even with Roe on the books, Roe has never been enough to truly protect access to care because anti-abortion lawmakers have been able to implement these restrictions that have really 
uh, made access impossible for a lot of people um, across the country. And so this bill is going to get a vote in the House in just a couple of weeks. And we feel really confident that the bill um, has the votes to pass in the House. And I, I want to be clear, this is not a moment for celebration, right? It, it is, you know, I am buoyed by the fact that you know, politicians are rising to this moment, but we need to realize that it is because of what is happening on the ground in Texas and states across the country. So I am hopeful that this is seen as something of a silver lining and really a, a, an opportunity for hopefulness, given um, how bad things are on the ground, that there is this opportunity for proactive measures. But we need to really think of this as a first step to protecting access, um, which also goes beyond these trap laws and gestational bans and the like. People need coverage for abortion care so that they don't have to pay out of pocket, especially for folks who are um, on federal programs whose insurance coverage is affected by the Hyde Amendment, which means that programs like Medicaid and Medicare can't cover abortion. Um, people need to have the infrastructure to access care, and that means any number of things between transportation and childcare and time off of work. So this is you know, one thing that Congress can do in this moment, and there are plenty of others with it. I think I just wanted to add really quickly um, that I think that it was an incredibly great point to bring up. Uh, Roe is the floor, not the ceiling. And it's incredibly important to recognize and acknowledge that, you know, even if we have this federal bill, which is a step in the right direction, there are so many other oppressing, you know, factors in people's access to abortion care, specifically, you know, when we're talking about immigration and the over-militarization of border areas or folks' access because of their immigration status to these services. It's all connected and it would be so beneficial for our movement to start working with others and talk about how we can help each other out. Nancy, we're going to pick up on that exact thread when we come back from this break here on the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show. And I apparently cannot tell time today. So we're actually going to pick up on that thread right now, Nancy. I know <laughs> you recently wrote an op-ed on this subject from your work. Um, you, about your work with immigrant and migrant communities in Texas. Can you tell us a little bit about how these communities um, will be particularly impacted by this bill and, and by issues, anti-abortion access in general? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest conversations I like to have is to let people know how border communities, you know, flourish and function. And an important thread is when people are discussing the options of going to another state, unfortunately, that's not a reality for a lot of people. You know, as it was mentioned before, the majority of people who are accessing abortions here are already parents. And for people who are undocumented or do not have that paperwork, they cannot pass internal immigration checkpoints located within Texas to access this abortion care. So whatever Texas state law presides is basically what is available to folks who are living here in Texas. And so the complication is a lot more complicated than that, right? And when we're talking about other intersecting movements and bills, we also have to talk about how SB4, an anti-immigration bill, definitely affected people's availability to get that health care and that access they deserve. Got it. As you said, this is all connected and we need to talk about this at the intersections uh, and not just in silos. So we're gonna we're gonna continue to talk about 
communities that are most impacted by this law when we come back after this quick break. Hello and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Wesley Marshall Show. We're talking today about SB8, uh, the recent law in Texas, um, and the Supreme Court's actions on it just last week. And so uh, I'm Brent J. Cohen, your co-host, and joined by my other co-host. Hey, I'm Charlotte Hancock. Howdy, Brent. Hey, Charlotte. And we are joined by two experts who are sharing their, their knowledge and expertise with us today. Jackie Blank, the federal legislative strategist and Act for Women campaign manager at the Center for Reproductive Rights, and Nancy Cardenas Peña, the Texas State Director for Policy and Advocacy at the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. So thanks, everybody, for coming coming back with us here. Um, we were talking just before break a little bit about the um, some of the communities, specifically um, immigrant communities or undocumented communities that may be most impacted uh, by the by the recent law in Texas. And Nancy, just want to um, ask you to to perhaps expand a little bit there and, and whether there are other um, communities that are also going to be disproportionately impacted uh, by state law in, in Texas. Right. So I think one of the biggest pieces of conversation here is to acknowledge that the majority of the people who get abortions in Texas are already parents. And so we're talking about communities and people who can't just, you know, go to another state for abortion care. And we touched briefly on the already existing restrictions that, you know, abortion access have here in Texas, like mandatory ultrasounds, mandatory waiting periods, mandatory counseling, you name it, you know, and because of the effects of other types of bills in the past, you know, for example, HB2, which was another notorious anti-abortion bill that was passed through the legislature, um, we saw a lot of clinic closures. And so even when we're discussing the Rio Grande Valley, a lot of folks seem to think that it's just like a tiny little area, but it's an entire region of people who need abortion access with only one clinic left. And it's incredibly difficult to meet the demand of people who need this care and who need the service. And, you know, our legislatures and folks need to understand that regardless of those restrictions, people will still need abortions. And it doesn't stop abortion care. It just stops safe abortion care. With with that in mind, um, Nancy, I think that, uh, you know, we've seen because of the headlines, people, um, as we've said earlier, I think people kind of galvanized into some action here. Um, and uh, if people are looking for ways to help, in addition to supporting federal legislation, um, supporting state level legislation, um, what sorts of organizations can folks support um, or where should folks be directing uh, resources if they want to support um, direct care and um, actual abortion access and health care access. Absolutely. And we saw this pass in May, but because of the implementation on the 1st of September, it galvanized a lot of people to get involved in this conversation. And something really important to name is that there is no need to recreate anything or create a new network of something because those networks already exist in Texas. There's an expansive list of abortion funds that operate in Texas, um, operate based on different areas. There are advocacy organizations who are doing the hard work on the ground. There are people who are talking to legislators, talking to community, providing that education. And what 
these organizations, including myself and my colleagues need, is that funding and those resources, that attention to go to already existing networks. So, you know, we're talking about Frontera Fund, which is an abortion fund that, you know, operates in the Rio Grande Valley. Little Fund operates in Houston and Austin. T Fund operates in Dallas. We have a lot of other funds that operate in different parts and they deserve your money, your attention and your love. Perfect. Thank you. And uh, I think, Jackie, you also had um, some organizations that you're hoping to direct people towards. Yeah, to that list, I would add Keep Our Clinics, which is an effort to deal with the issue that Nancy was talking about before, which is clinic closures. And when there are no clinics open, it's difficult to access care. So Keep Our Clinics is an excellent way to contribute to make sure that clinics are able to stay open as this legislation and others are affecting access for people who need it. Awesome. Great. Thanks so much. And then Jackie, um, just to follow up on that and expand on that, um, in addition to supporting these kinds of places, um, for people who want to get more involved uh, in the fight to protect, protect reproductive rights, to protect abortion access, where would you recommend people get started? So if they're looking to get involved in the ACT for Women campaign in support of the Women's Health Protection Act, I would send them to actforwomen.org. This vote is happening in the House in just a couple of weeks, and we really need to make sure that members of Congress understand that they have supporters who believe how critical this bill is. And to Nancy's point, for those who are interested in getting involved with Texas directly, there are a number of state organizations in Texas that are doing this work, and it's so important to be supporting them and the experts in their own experiences. Great, thank you. And then, uh, Nancy, same question for you, for people who want to get more involved um, in the fight to protect um, reproductive rights, uh, where would you recommend people get started? So I think it's incredibly important to follow the organizations that are doing the work on the ground. I named a few, but there's a much more expansive list of my colleagues that are doing this hard work. And I bet that wherever folks live, there is an abortion fund in your community. There is an abortion fund in your state, an advocacy organization that also deserves your love and attention. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, Nancy, is there anything, is there any way to, I mean, we've talked about helping people directly um, impacted uh, in the short term. Um, is there, sorry, I'm <laughs> copied out my words here. Um, is there anything that uh, folks can be doing to be asking their, um, their state legislators? You know, I think it's important to recognize that a row is the floor and not the ceiling. And when we're talking about abortion legislation, to think big and to not be afraid to say the word abortion. We understand that there will be a lot of court decisions coming up. We understand that there will be a lot of legislation that we see, but the courts will not save us and neither will our legislature. You know, one thing that we need to acknowledge is that we draw strength from our communities and regardless of what court decision and legislation we see, abortion is still a moral good. Thanks, Nancy. And um, Jackie, do you, I know you wanted to, to jump in here as well. Yeah, and there's plenty to do outside of states like Texas, especially in the states where people generally believe that access to abortion is available and even excellent. There are always things that your state can be doing to expand access to care, whether that be ensuring that state Medicaid funds pay for coverage of abortion, whether it means um, you know, writing in constitutional state constitutional protections for access to abortion. There are always 
ways to improve access to care in your state that are going to become even more important as this effort to overturn Roe um, continues. Thanks for that, Jackie. That's such a, a great point. And I think um, this this is one of those things that's often true in a number of areas where folks are like, oh, I'm in such and such state, and therefore I know, um, you know, I'm sure that, you know, my state's doing everything right, and I don't have to worry about this because this is an issue that affects people in other states. And the truth of the matter is, there is something we can be doing in every single state and every single city across this country on a broad range of issues, including on expanding or protecting access to abortion care. Uh, to abortion and and healthcare, and so um, you know I think that's just such a good point that regardless of what state you are in, this is in fact your issue just as much as it's my issue. Just as in fact it is the issue of anybody who is living in Texas at this moment or any other state where they are actively trying to um, prohibit access to abortion. And so really getting in touch and finding out what can be done locally, how can we expand and protect access to abortion regardless of where we live, is just such an important point to make and, and appreciate you uh, um, reminding folks of that. Um, so as we as we start to wind down here in just the last uh, minute and a half or so of the show, uh, you know, Jackie, where where um, can folks find more information about the, the good work that you're doing and more information about uh, your organization as well? So they can join the campaign or seek information from the campaign at actforwomen.org. This is a campaign that it has over 100 members, state, local, federal, faith-based organizations, LGBTQ organizations. And if you're an individual and not part of an organization, there are ways for you to take action. And certainly once the vote gets scheduled and occurs next week, we're going to be making sure that we are speaking loudly and proudly on social media and we invite everyone to join us. Thanks, Jackie. And, and Nancy, the same same question for you. Where where can folks go to find more about your organization, the work that you're doing, et cetera? So you can follow us at Latina Institute um, on you know Twitter, Facebook, um, and Instagram. We're also Poderosas TX, um, which is a name we give our activists, which means powerful. And you can also look for the Trust Respect Access Coalition, which is a broad range of my colleagues that do an incredible work here in Texas. Amazing. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you to today's guests, Jackie Blank and Nancy Cardenas-Pena our producer, Mark Grimaldi, our communications manager, Emily Leach, and to all of our listeners. Make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Gen Progress. And we'll talk to you again on our next Remote Generation Progress takeover of The Leslie Marshall Show. This content was brought to you by the Michigan Association of United Ways. How you been doing? I've been doing my dad is 80 years old. He has pre-existing medical conditions. Having COVID, I knew I couldn't see my dad and he needed me. I was nervous about the vaccine. As a person of color, we have a history of being used as guinea pigs. When he made the decision to become vaccinated, that's what gave me a little bit of bravery to move forward. Getting vaccinated helped me to get my life back. Escape to a world of magic and imagination oh where every step leads to an unforgettable adventure. Encounter wild beasts, daring space rangers, and some grim, 
grinning ghost. <laughs> Escape to your happy place at Walt Disney World Resort.